I'm excited to be here. I am sorry that it's under the circumstances that I have to be here. Uh, I am happy, though, that I didn't see people leaving saying, I'm not listening if he's preaching. So uh, that's a good thing. I have had that happen to me before, uh, and they weren't real quiet about it. So that's all right. Uh, I am I'm excited about things that are going on in our county and our community and things that are going on here at Ekron Baptist Church, even though Satan wants to slow us down and Satan wants to make us ineffective and, and wants to stop us, we are still saying kingdom work is worth it, and we're going to go on. So uh, let me start by saying greetings from the Salem Association. Um, they mentioned earlier that we would be having our annual meeting today. It is right here at Ekron Baptist Church. Those of you that are listening uh, live on uh, Facebook, I want to welcome you also. don't want to forget you guys, but it will be here at 3 o'clock, and your slide said from 3 to 5. Let me... Let me make sure I clarify, um, that's not absolutely correct. First session starts at 3, second session starts at 5. So let me give you just a little bit of a brief synopsis of that. The business session of the association is going to take place from about 3 to 5. We're hopefully taking about a 15-minute break in between, and then we're going to have a worship session after that. Should be done by around 6.30, 6.15, we're hoping. Brother David Stokes from Lexington is coming in to bring our message uh, this evening, and, and we should have a good time in the house of God tonight. So um, all of our churches, this is a time where we can come together and we can fellowship and we can uh, worship God together. Uh, I'm, I'm excited about that. I am saddened that because of COVID, we're not going to be able to do some of the things that we had planned on doing. For instance... Uh, traditionally, we would have a meal with our associational meeting. So we would come together, and then we would meet from 3 to 5. Then we'd have a meal together, and then we would come back, and we'd have a worship service after that. But because of the COVID and some of the restrictions and the guidelines and the CDC things, uh, we have adjusted, and we've moved the service time earlier. That way, you won't starve to death. You can still get out and eat by about 6.30 tonight. So uh, just to let you know that. Uh, somebody might ask what the association is, and, and I would define it this way. Um, if, you, if you would look at the Internet and you think, what's the Internet? And, and that would be something that's a little bit hard to define. If you, if you rode back 100 years ago and tried to tell your great-great-grandpappy what the Internet was, it would be difficult to explain. But I think I can use that to, to enlighten you a little bit about how I see the association. If I have a computer, a Chromebook, an iPad, any of those kind of devices, they are good devices, and I can use them in and of themselves. I can, I can type, I can play games, I can do some different things. But when I hook that Internet cable to my computer, it opens the door for so much more. Are you with me? That's what the association is. That's churches working together. And if we would get out of the mindset that this is my church and we, we need to just worry about my church and do my thing and I'm afraid if I do something with somebody else that, that uh, people might like them or we may lose somebody. or uh, It's not our country club, God. Guys, it's, it's God's church. And it's God's church in the plural with all the churches together. And the association is a group of 20 churches in this area that believes that kingdom work is worth the effort of working together and changing lives for the cause of Christ. So if I could just give you a little 
uh, example of, of how I would define that. So, anyway, good to be here. Y'all ready? Y'all ready to get preached at? You ready for a message this morning? Oh man, I hope the people at home are more excited than you guys are. I tell you. Well, um, I have uh, a message that I'm going to bring to you this morning, and and it's uh, about grace. And I'm going to start by telling you that there's no way that I'm going to do a good enough job telling you about grace because God's grace is more than I can understand. I want you to know that starting off. I can't do that. Um, but I'm going to use Martin Luther, King, uh, Martin Luther uh, King as an example, Martin Luther rather, as an example um, of what grace is and, and how uh, we went through that. Back in October the 30, on October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther nailed 95 theses, uh, also known as the dispu Disputation of Power, on the door of the Roman Catholic Church. And, and that is what is given credit as kicking off the Protestant Reformation. Now, that's, that, there's a whole lot of history and a whole lot of things there that, that I'm not going to be able to tell you, but if you want to learn a little bit more about that, uh, Luther was not the first one that said that there's a problem with what we're teaching. But the way things happened, it made it where uh, the, the Protestant Revolution uh, was able to, Reformation was able to take place about this time when Luther was going on. And I'm going to give you some things that I think helped that as they went along, but I'm also going to talk to you about what that means and why there's differences and, and what we as Christians here in our association, in our church, right here at Ekron, should be doing with the grace of God. So before we get started, let's go ahead and start off with a word of prayer, and then uh, we'll, we'll get into God's word and, and looking at some other things. Father, you're an awesome God. I thank you for being able to be here this morning. Uh, my heart goes out to Brother Tom and Linda and their family. I pray that you would be with them, uh, even during this time, Father. Uh, I'm not worthy to fill this pulpit. I realize that, but I pray that you would speak through me nonetheless. We give you praise and glory for all you do. In your name we pray. Amen. Martin Luther was born in Elsenbin, Germany in 1483. That's a long time ago. He was a monk and a scholar and in... in uh, 1517, he became famous by nailing his 95 theses uh, to the door. In 1518, uh, the Pope condemned Luther's writings. I don't know if you realize it or not, but back then the church had a little bit of power. It was the largest landowner. It, it, it helped with government. It had all kinds of power that we wouldn't even think about a church having today. But uh, because Luther was condemned and the Pope condemned his writings, he went into exile into Wittenberg. Well, there was a monk, a friar actually, that came to Wittenberg. His name was John Tinsel. John Tinsel would come and he would be selling uh, penance and indulgences. Now, an indulgence is, is a promise from the Pope, basically, that said that, that if you pay this indulgence, then it will wipe your slate clean and you won't have to spend as much time in hell paying for your sins. So there, there was a, uh, the more you sin, the more you pay kind of a mindset back then. And Tinsel was, was going about church business and he came to Wittenberg and, and he, uh, uh, his penance that he was actually selling, his indulgence that he was selling said this, it says, I place thee in the state of innocence and purity in which you wert at the time of thy hour of thy baptism 
So he was saying that if you will pay this penance, then your sins will be cleaned all the way back to just like you were when you were baptized. That was a big deal back then. It only cost three marks to get it done, but three marks was about a half a year's wage. Well, Martin Luther did not agree with that thought that you could just buy your salvation, so to speak. And there were some problems there, and we're going to talk a little bit more about him. But the Bible teaches, and Luther believed, that salvation was by faith and not by deeds. Not by works, not through prayer, not through fasting, not through vigils, not through pilgrimages, not through relics. Salvation was not through sacraments or any other act that you could do. That was not the way you got salvation. You couldn't be good enough to merit salvation. There's nothing you could do as an individual to gain your own salvation. That's what the Bible teaches. You couldn't, you couldn't pay an indulgence and lighten your sentence. In 1921, there was something called the Diet of Worms. That doesn't mean you're eating worms, by the way. Uh, it was a... Uh, actually a, a government council where Luther had to go before and defend himself for heresies. In 1921, at that Diet of Worms, he was actually excommunicated, and uh, he hid in Elsenbin and started to work on translating the New Testament. Uh, it's been said that he translated the New Testament in one year, and um, thousands of copies of that New Testament in German were actually distributed, and people then were able to read the Word of God. Now, I said earlier that a lot of other people disagreed with the way the church was doing things, but nothing happened. If you go back to that day, very few people knew how to read. And those that did know how to read didn't know how to read Latin. Only, only your pope and, you, and your church leaders and, and those teachers uh, that were set up to do that were able to read it. So there was kind of a, a, a way to hoodwink, if you will, the average person, because they didn't know. But when Luther translated the Bible into German and gave the ability for several people to start reading the Bible, they became educated. And guys, we need to be educated about the Word of God. We do. We need to know what it says, and you, you shouldn't just, I, I think Brother Tom's a great person. Everything I've seen and heard, he's going to do a good job of teaching you, but you shouldn't take Brother Tom's word for it. You need to read the Word of God and study it yourself so you know what's going on. And that's what Martin Luther did, and he translated it so others could do the same thing. And that, that is what brought about the Reformation, is, is more than just one person saying there's a problem here. We look at the Bible and we see what's going on. So that's what we need to be doing in our churches. He had 95 theses, and, and I'm not going to go over all of those, but a few of them says that the Bible is the central authority, and people can reach salvation uh, by faith and not by deeds. That's, that's an overwhelming thing. The Reformation was not about Luther's frustration with the church, but it was about the church's uh, theology at, at odds with God about how salvation is acquired, being taught that they didn't have direct access to God. That was a problem for Luther. In Luke chapter 13, Luke chapter 13, I think this is a slide we might have. Um, Luke chapter 13, uh, verse 2 says, And Jesus said to them, Do you suppose that these 
Galileans were greater sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this fate? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Now, I bring this verse up because we're still going along with Luther and the problems that he had, and, and we're talking about repenting. And we understand what repenting is, and we know uh, in the church, you probably have seen this verse probably 50 times. And you said, yeah, I, I've seen that verse. But the penance here, the Catholic Church actually translated this into do penance. In other words, a payment that you had to pay. And, and it's also where they started getting purgatory and prayers for sins. So Luther taught that God should be the final authority. And, and in his theses, he outlined five major themes uh, in those theses. The first one was sola scriptura. And that means by scripture alone. There's no other authority, not the church, not the pope, not anyone else, but the scripture alone is where we get our authority. That's the only place that you can go to find the truth about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sola scriptura. Sola fida. By faith alone. Faith alone, that is the only way that you can come to know Jesus Christ, is through faith. It's not by works, it's not by deeds, it's not by anything that you're saying that you're going to do, but it's only through the faith in what Jesus Christ has done for us. That's the only way to reach salvation. Number three, sola gratia, by grace alone. It's through grace, God's grace. That's the only way that we can come to know Jesus Christ. Nothing we can do other than by the grace of God. We deserve hell. We are sinners. We are lost. We deserve uh, hell. That's, that's what we deserve. But by God's grace, we can come to know him. Number four, sola Christus or sola Christo. It's Christ alone or through Christ alone. So the only way of salvation is through Christ. Not Mohammed, not Buddha, not Hare Krishna, not uh, Steve Butler, not Tom Curry, uh, not anyone else other than Christ. It's through Christ alone that we get salvation. And then uh, sola dio gloria is glory to God alone. Guys, if, if we would stop worrying about who gets the glory and just start worrying about giving glory to God, we'd be a whole lot better off as Christians. That, that was weak. That was good preaching right there. Listen to what I said. If, if we would stop worrying about who gets the glory and just start doing things for God and letting him get the glory, we'd be a whole lot better off. Even if, you, even if you're not familiar with that, you know somebody else that's doing that stuff. We need to give glory to God, not seek glory for ourselves. Amen. Amen. I'm going to try hard and fail, as I said earlier, to tell you about the grace of God. But the Bible says that God's grace is inexpressible. I can't tell you about God's grace. I can't come up with the words to describe it well enough. Now, I've studied it. I've been studying it for a while. I've, got, I've, I've prepared for this message. My wife looked at it, and she said, Wow, you've got a lot of notes here. Uh, I said, Yeah, these guys don't get out until 1 o'clock. So, but... Uh, God's grace is inexpressible. You can't express it. You can't articulate it. My pea brain in my head is too small that I can't even understand it. Are you with me? 
but I know enough about it to know that it's good. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 10 says, Now he who supplies seeds to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase your harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberally, um, <clears throat> which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the need of the saints, but also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. Because the proof, proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God <clears throat> for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your uh, contribution to them and to all. For they also, by prayer on your behalf, yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. What is this indescribable gift? That indescribable gift, God, guys, is the grace of God. It's indescribable. The King James Version says... It's unspeakable. I've heard it said that grace is unmerited favor. I like that. It's unmerited favor. I didn't, I didn't get any, do anything to earn it myself. It's, it's just given to me. I like it. Another said that it's God's riches at Christ's expense. I like that too, but that still only scratches the surface of the true meaning of what grace is. Luther, in his 95 Theses, uh, said that uh, our Lord and Master Jesus Christ saying, do penance, wanted the entire life of the faithful to be one of penance. Our life, there, there's nothing wrong with the word penance. But what it is, is our life should be a life of penance. Because we understand a little bit about the grace of God, we should give penance to God we should lead a life of penance or repentance the Catholic Church saw penance as buying and begging grace through indulgences but Luther clarified what was meant when he urged repentance a life of repentance we should live in a way that that we want to please God you see, our penance and our, our tithes and our uh, going to church and our prayers and our living right because it's right to live right and, and all of that, that is not penance paying for our salvation. That is our repentance because of the grace we were given. We want to follow God for what he did for us. There's a huge difference there, guys. We are not saved because of our good works. We do good works because we are saved. God loves us. God saves us. I want to be active in Ekron Baptist Church. I want to be active in His kingdom work because of what He has done for me. Explain it to me, Brother Steve. I can't. I already told you I can't. I can try. But it's indescribable the magnitude of what God did for you when you gave your life to him. It's through grace. You couldn't do anything. 
Luther, the monk, taught salvation by grace. It wasn't controversial to teach salvation back then, even in the Catholic Church. The, ter- the church taught that grace didn't save completely, but, but rather prepared people to be saved. I've got news for you. Grace saves completely. Here's a quote for you. Luther the monk said, Grace alone is the gasoline that propels the car of salvation. But Luther the reformer said, Grace alone is the entire car. There's a difference. Grace isn't what gets it started, guys. Grace is how we are saved. By faith, by by grace, through faith, we are saved. Luther was an outstanding monk. He followed the rules. He did what he was supposed to. And he had another person that he looked up to in the Bible that did the same thing. His name was Paul. Paul, writing in Philippians chapter 3, said, Although I myself have confidence, even in the flesh, if everyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Now let let me break that down for you a little bit. Although I myself have confidence, even in the flesh, Paul's saying that some of you guys might think you're a pretty good old boy. And you might be a pretty good old boy, but Paul's saying if you are a good old boy, I'll guarantee you I'm better. Doesn't matter. Paul said, I'm better. And, and Luther could have said some of these things. He said, I far more circumcised the eighth day. Who can brag about that? This is Paul's kind of talking. It's the, it's the Stephen Ray Butler version, if you'll go along with me. But Paul's kind of talking. He's saying, hey, who can brag more? Circumcise the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, I'm a Pharisee. Come on, who's got more to brag about than Paul here? As to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, which is in the law, found blameless. You could follow me around and not find anything I've done wrong, guys. Who's got more to brag about? Who doesn't need grace? But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. You see, Paul knew that it it wasn't about just following and and obeying the rules luther realized that you can't earn your salvation can't do it on your own there's a study called the echoes of the reformation that talks about the reformation and deals with luther and and it's a good study you might might want to look at it sometime but in one place it says according to the church one did not need to feel sorry for your sin They said it was an external matter, and it is the churches absolving you of your sin. It is by works that you do that and meet the salvation of the church. Luther wondered what he could do to meet God's salvation. He realized he couldn't possibly meet God's standard, and that only Christ can. It was that thought that drove him to the gospel. See, it's great to be part of Ekron Baptist Church, but you coming here today is not how you're saved. You being active, you being a deacon, you can even get up and preach, but that will not save you. You can teach Sunday school for most of your life and die and go to hell if you have not found the grace of Jesus Christ. You can brag about all you want, just like Paul said, I could brag, 
Martin Luther said, hey, I've got it down. I'm a good monk. But it doesn't matter. What matters is Jesus Christ and his grace. John 1, 16 says, From the fullness we have all received grace upon grace, for the law was given through Moses, and the truth came through Jesus Christ. The New American Standard Bible. The Homan says, Grace after grace. And the NIV says, Grace in place of grace already given. Well, that's kind of weird. What do you mean grace upon grace? I don't know if you realize it, but, but back in the Old Testament, even when, when uh, they said, hey, if, if you will follow these rules and follow these laws, then you can be, be part of God. That was grace. You with me? Saying if you, if you can live up to these standards, then you can come and, and be in heaven with, with me. That, that was grace. Even the Old Testament, what we deserve is not a chance Go to hell, go directly to hell, do not pass, go, do not collect $200. You with me? That's what we deserve. That was grace. But the New Testament gives us a better way. We don't have to sacrifice. We don't have to do all those kind of things. There is one sacrifice that came and paid that price. The grace in the Old Testament is better than nothing. But the grace upon grace was the grace in New Testament that came and washed my sins away. You with me? That's God's grace. God's grace. The Catholic Church was trying to sell grace, but Luther believed the church had no right to sell something God gave freely. Luther and the Reformers realized what the good news was. The gospel was good news. And God's gospel and good news is not that you're going to have to pay a higher price. The gospel and good news isn't that you're going to have to work harder or that you're going to have to be perfect. Anytime you substitute anything for grace, it's not good news. It doesn't get any better than God's grace. The Bible speaks of being the, the bride of Christ. And what happens if you go back and you find the history, uh, each person in, in the marriage, in the union, will bring what they have to the marriage. And then they are put together to be one. That's, that's kind of what we do today still, isn't it? Okay? And that's, that's a great picture of being the bride of Christ. What you're going to find is Christ brings his righteousness, his grace, his love, his peace, his salvation to that union. All I could bring was my sins, my unfaithfulness, my puny little things that I thought was good, as in good deeds, that meant nothing compared to what Christ brings. I am happy to be the bride of Christ because that union comes together, and through the work of the Holy Spirit, I am brought into the body of Christ. Are you with me? Martin Luther said, if Christ be made guilty of all sins which we have committed, then we are delivered utterly from all sins. But not by ourselves, nor by our own works or merits, but by Him. Guys, I don't know if you know what the word utterly means, but it's a lot. It's like completely. You with me? We are delivered from our sins completely by Jesus Christ. 
You know Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned. Can you imagine being told that, that you have to be good to be saved? And then you read the Bible and believe the Bible's true and it says all have sinned. What does that mean? That means I'm not going to make it on my own. Being good is not enough. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. A life of repentance. Continually turning from our sin and turning to Jesus is a byproduct of grace. The world says you can do better. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You've got this. You're going to be fine. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says God knows us. The Bible says God loves us anyway. That's what the Bible says. John 19.30 says, And when Jesus said, in John 19.30, when Jesus said it is finished, he really meant it. God's grace is sufficient. Grace is not doing things in our own strength. It's not standing up to giants. It's not uh, anything but, but a gift from God. Where's grace found? Hebrews 4.16 says, Therefore let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace in time of need. We've got to draw near to God. What does God want to hear about the gospel? What, what does God want? In 1 Timothy 2.4 it says, God's desires that all people be saved. Anybody know what all means? All means all, and that's all all means. That's it. All. You can't translate it any other way. It means all. It's God's desire that all people should be saved and to come to the knowledge of Christ. Listen to verse 1 through 4 in that same passage. First of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers and petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men for kings and all who have authority, so that they may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and, di and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Father, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. You know what God wants? God wants everybody to be saved. God wants everybody to know about this grace. And I in my own little pea brain, as I said earlier, don't, don't have the ability to really describe it to you and to tell you how good it is. I can tell you it's good, but it's better than what I'm saying. God's grace. You see, I deserve hell. But God loved me anyway. That's His grace. Have you found grace? Have you found the grace of God this morning? I hope you have. And that's a great question, have you? But I'm going to be honest with you. Here's a better question for most people in this building this morning. Probably even most people listening on the internet. Have you shared the grace of God? What have you done? You see, you don't work 
to gain your faith. You don't work to gain your grace. It's nothing that you can do. Way back in the 1500s, Martin Luther was saying that. How about right now in 2020, this crazy year, like nothing we've seen before, God's grace is still sufficient. In your sins, in your despair, in your problems, it's God's grace that's sufficient. Will you pray with me? Father, I love you and I thank you so much for your grace. I thank you for loving me in spite of my sins. Father, I thank you for, for loving those that are under the sound of my voice and for wanting each one of us to find you as our Lord and Savior. Father, I know there's some here and I know there's some listening uh, that don't know you. I pray that they would come to know you as their Lord and Savior. Father, thank you again for your grace. If you are here and you would like to come forward and pray, I'll be here. I'll pray with you. Uh, if you are listening by way of Facebook and, and you are not here and you want someone to pray for, uh, look up the church's number. Give them a call. Someone will get in contact with you. We'll work through that with you also. We want you to understand who this Jesus is we're talking about. Amen. You've been listening to the Sunday morning worship service of the Ekron Baptist Church. You too can accept the eternal life offered by Jesus Christ. First, admit that you are a sinner. Then believe that Jesus Christ can forgive you of your sins and ask him to come into your heart and change your life. Then confess your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. If you've made this decision today, write to us at the Akron Baptist Church, 2775 Hayesville Road, Akron, Kentucky, 40117. If you're looking for a church home, we invite you to be a part of our growing family with programs and Bible studies for all ages. Join us next Sunday at 11 a.m. for morning worship from the Akron Baptist Church. Until that time, may God bless.